The following program is intended to provide general information only, and its host, Tim Decker, recommends that you always seek competent professional guidance for financial, legal, and tax advice, as everyone's specific needs are unique. WHP Talk Radio 580 now presents Financial Freedom with Tim Decker from ISI Financial Group. A full hour of sleep well at night financial guidance from an experienced financial advisor. Talking about This is your financial show, Central PA, Financial Freedom on WHP Talk Radio 580. Well, good morning, everyone. Tim Decker here with you, talking any and all things financial. Hope this finds you well, and uh, as always, thanks for taking out time on this Saturday morning to join me, and as always, I will do my very best to provide you with straightforward, unbiased advice in my effort to be your trusted resource for financial truth. Well, there's a lot of things going on in the news. Uh, As always, news is moving faster and faster all the time, it seems. But in the world of financial markets, one of the top stories this past week, as I'm sure all of you uh, caught wind of, had to do with that social media giant called Facebook. Do you own any Facebook shares? Do you own individual stocks? Or are you instead wisely, broadly diversified amongst the beautiful global portfolio via either low-cost index funds or, even better yet, institutional asset class funds? We're going to talk a little bit about Facebook and not so much the company itself, but what that means and what you can learn from a stock this past week that got hammered was down about 20%. At the same time, the broader stock market here in the U.S., as measured by the Russell 3000, actually was up for the week. So here you have a huge, well-known, very popular individual stock getting killed versus if you were instead diversified amongst many, many thousands of companies throughout the U.S., you actually would have been able to enjoy a positive week. So we're going to talk a little bit about that, and we're going to talk a little bit about the concept of compensated and uncompensated risk. Additionally, we're going to talk, time permitting, of course, About rules based investing, which is guided by evidence and financial science, rules based investing versus subjective, speculative driven investing. There's a stark difference there, and I'm going to share with you what that is, and you can ask yourself which process drives how you invest. And then before we go to our first break here in about five minutes, I just want to share with you um, the current status of the so-called Department of Labor's fiduciary rule. You may remember 
over the last year or two, I have on numerous occasions brought to your attention that the Department of Labor um, had proposed and was going to uh, make every effort to bring into law the fiduciary rule. And just a quick summary uh, and a review of that again. Essentially, uh, in lieu of what most consumers think, as it stands right now, the vast majority of those offering or selling financial advice and services are not, let me emphasize that, are not required to serve you when you take their advice, when they manage your investments, they are not required at all times to put your best interest first. The only, the only financial advisors under current law who are required at all times in all areas to put your best interest first, not only in the advice that they offer you, but in the products that they ultimately recommend and the way that they manage your money, the only financial advisors are those that are 100% fee-only registered investment advisors. And the problem is there's three types of advisors out there, and this is what the Department of Labor was trying to help go after in an effort to protect the consumer. Right now, there's your advisor, if you're working with any financial advisor, broker, insurance person, it can be somebody at the bank, somebody at the credit union, it can be your accounting firm, it can be even attorneys. I now have begun seeing over the last few years Attorney firms are now getting into selling investment products. So regardless of who you're working with, they all fall underneath one of three categories. There are those that work strictly on commissions. They, get, they receive no fees whatsoever. And thus, there's a major, major conflict of interest, which if, if you think about it, when somebody is incentivized for selling certain products and certain products will pay them substantially more, you can imagine how that drives the sale of such products. So those are commission advisors, brokers, or essentially, let's just call them sales people. Then there are what I had just alluded to. There are 100% fee only registered investment advisors. And the reason that I always emphasize 100% fee only is because it is extremely, extremely important that you identify by reading and by asking for and reading your advisor's form ADV part two brochure, that's ADV part two brochure that outlines in detail any and all ways 
the advisor is compensated. And what's nice and why I've always recommended that you work with a 100% fee-only advisor is those type of advisors, which, by the way, our firm is, receives absolutely, unequivocally, no compensation from any third party for anything. No commissions, no kickbacks, nothing. And we, as well as other 100% fee-only registered investment advisors, are at all times required, at all times, to look out for you and your best interest and to be able to support in documents why we made whatever recommendations to you we made. There is a third category, and the third type of advisor I'm going to share with you and describe when we come back here from our first break. And this third type of advisor, unfortunately, is where many and most advisors are now moving into this type of arrangement, and it's the one that is hands down the most confusing for you as a consumer to be able to tell who this is. I'm going to make sure that we make it very clear when we come back from the break, and then we're going to follow up with our discussion of the DOL fiduciary rule and where that stands right now. Okay, let's go to our first break. Uh, When we come back, uh, if you have anything that you would like to ask of me, don't be shy. You can reach me here at uh, 717-540-0580. That's 717-540-0580 or 800-724-5801. Or, as always, for those of you who are phone shy, you can shoot me a quick email here live, ffradio at comcast.net. That's ffradio at comcast.net. I'm Tim Decker, and this is Financial Freedom. Simple, straightforward advice and answers. Financial information you can trust. This is Financial Freedom with Tim Decker on WHP 580. All right, welcome back. Financial Freedom, where I do my very best to provide you with information that can help you make wise financial decisions that's going to ultimately help you and your family achieve financial security and ultimately financial freedom. So just to pick back up on our uh, discussion in the first segment here, as I said, there's three broad categories of advisors. Those that work on a commission-only who are compensated based upon what they sell you. There are 100% fee-only advisors, which is the complete opposite, where they sell nothing and are paid by you and you alone to look out for you and serve your best interests. And then there is this third category. And like I mentioned before we were going to the break, this type of advisor is becoming more and more popular, and you'll understand why in a moment. Quite simply, it allows them to charge fees 
and receive commissions on certain products that they might sell you. These types of advisors and these types of arrangements are most often described as fee-based advisors. Now, what's the difference between fee-based and fee-only? Well, simply put, it's the word only and based mean two different things. Only means only. Based doesn't mean only. So what you have is you have these type of hybrid advisors. Anytime you hear somebody touting that they are a fee-based advisor, they're hoping that what you hear is the word fee and not go on to understand the difference between fee-based and fee-only. These are advisors that can charge you fees or they will work as a registered investment advisor some of the time it might be in some of the advice that they're offering you they may charge you some fees for a financial plan or for some hourly consulting however when it comes time to the implementation of products they have chosen to keep securities licenses and insurance licenses that will allow them to make commissions off of you. And this, unfortunately, is what we're seeing is becoming the most common type of advisory firm out there. I will just say there are many television shows with financial advisors. Now there are more and more financial advisor shows on the radio when I started here in central Pennsylvania over 25 years ago on the air here we were for the most part the only financial advisory firm here in south central Pennsylvania out of the Harrisburg area now as you know doesn't matter what radio station you listen to there are lots of financial advisors on the radio show I am proud and happy to say that we are one of the very, very few that truly is a 100% fee-only advisory firm. Most of the other radio shows, those that are done on television, not just on this station, but many stations, are unfortunately advisors who are fee-based, which means they're hybrid. They'll charge you fees, but then they'll receive compensation. Thus, there's a conflict of interest majorly, and that's why many of them will ultimately sell you high commission products, whether it be mutual funds, whether it be uh, real estate investment trusts, whether it be annuities. And we are seeing more and more of these every day. Day. Okay, we're going to, before we go on and discuss the Department of Labor rule, uh, we have a caller, and I don't want to keep them holding here, so let me just bring them up here. Uh, we have Jay from York County. Hi, Jay. How are you, sir, and how can I help you? Good morning. Two questions. How did Facebook ever make any money? And also, why ever in the world would I invest 
in a stock that never pays dividends? Well, let me answer the second part first. Um, okay. Whether a stock whether a stock pays dividends or not um, is not should not be the driving reason ultimately as to invest in a stock. If you've ever heard of the company called Berkshire Hathaway, yes, no dividends. So how do I know if they're uh, not cooking the books? Or Microsoft? How, Microsoft pays no dividends? Um, I'm not sure if Microsoft does okay. or not. I'm not sure. Okay. I know that Berkshire Hathaway never has. Okay? And how you know is with the semi-annual reports and the annual reports that they are required to have and provide and they're audited ongoing, that's how you have that assurance. So ultimately, what, when you buy a stock, uh, Jay, what you're buying is simply the future earnings and profits that that company is going to make. So you're buying it at a discounted price now with the anticipation that as the company grows over the years, its share price will grow because of higher earnings and okay. profits. Okay. So um, the main thing and, and the best way to think about it, and I use this example a lot, if you had or if you have a well in your house, your number your number one concern is that that well never goes dry obviously Check. but you but you don't care how much of the water that's underground that is supplying you with that that water you don't care how much of that is as a result of under underground okay. spring how much is a result of rainfall how much is it from snow all you care about is that that sucker never <laughs> runs dry with right. the stock Ultimately, whether the future growth or your future returns from that stock is derived from dividends, whether it's derived strictly from capital gains, your only concern is the total return, which accounts for dividends and or capital gains. So as far dividends, as dividends get reinvested into uh, the company? Well, if a dividend is paid out, you have a choice. You can either receive it in cash right. yes. or you can take that and have them reinvest it and buy more shares. Yes. Okay, so let's say Berkshire Hathaway, mm -hmm. to get any profit out of it or any mm -hmm. benefit, let's say to get any benefit out of it, I'd have to right. sell those shares. Absolutely. Okay, okay. I understand but, that. But the good news is... Since the dividends are not paid out in a taxable account, you're going to prefer that from a pure after-tax return because since dividends are not paid out to shareholders, there's not 1099 income on that, and, okay. thus, the, okay. and thus all of your returns are going to be tied to capital gains. And for most individuals, obviously, their capital gains tax rate is lower than their Ordinary okay. income tax rate. Okay. All right. Um, as it pertains to Facebook, Facebook was riding on and continues to ride on advertisers. All their profits come from the, uh, the pop-ups that come on the computer screen? 
I know of no other source of income to them other than that. Okay, there must be an awful lot of money going into advertising. It's actually on the front of, I think, Barron's Magazine today. Um, I think there's a whole big article on that and about their advertisers and everything. So Okay, okay. There's a, there, there's a lot of revenue with that. Sure, sure must be. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right, thanks a lot. You're welcome, Jay. I wish okay. you the very best. Thanks okay, for your thanks. call. Bye. You bet. Bye. Bye-bye. So back to the Department of Labor. Back in, um, let's see here, it was early 2016, Department of Labor came out and said, since there's so much confusion amongst consumers, we want to impose a fiduciary rule, which is going to require any financial advisors that give advice relative to retirement accounts, IRA, Roth IRA, 401k that that advisor must be required to act in their client's best interest in other words be a a fiduciary well in june of this year the u.s fifth circuit court of appeals upheld a decision in march to overturn the DOL's fiduciary rule. In other words, it got shot down. It's not in existence as of now. And the reason for it is the U.S. Fifth Circuit Court of Appeal felt that the Department of Labor had stepped over the line and they were out of bounds in trying to enforce regulations on advisors. So what does that mean for you? It's the same as it has been for many, many years. Caveat emptor. Consumer beware. And all I can tell you is the vast majority of financial advisors out there right now are not required to act in your best interest 100% of the time. If you're working with any uh, any advisor that is not 100% fee only registered investment advisor then you are working either with a commission based advisor or worse yet you're working with a fee based advisor which means they can charge you fees and commissions if you have not yet done so Go to our website, isifinancialgroup.com. That's isifinancialgroup.com. And right there on the homepage on the bottom, we have for you a consumer checklist that you can print out. Use that. Insist upon getting those answers in writing with the advisor that you're currently working with or use that if you are interviewing financial advisors. And if they balk at providing you those answers in writing, and if they will not sign that fiduciary oath in there, I encourage you to not walk but run to someone else until you find somebody who is happy to put in writing that they will serve your best interest at all times. Okay, we're going to go to the news. When we come back, we'll pick right back up. 
Again, if you'd like to uh, inquire anything of me, I'd love to hear it from you, 717-540-0580. That's 717-540-0580 or toll-free at 800-724-5801 or shoot me an email here live, ffradio at comcast.net, ffradio at comcast.net. I'm Tim Decker, and this is Financial Freedom. Don't go anywhere. If you have a question about your finances or your financial future, give us a call right now at 540-0580 or toll free at 1-800-724-5801. This is Financial Freedom with Tim Decker on WHP 580. back i received an email here uh from mike let me read it to you uh mike says you have stated previously that rising interest rates actually are good for intermediate high quality bond funds does this hold true with long-term funds example long-term treasury or high quality corporate bonds thanks mike okay just a, a quick refresher um as to what happens to bond funds when interest rates rise First of all, there are two primary risks when you're investing in bonds, thus bond funds. Because remember, a bond fund is nothing more than an investment in a mutual fund or an ETF that owns many, many bonds. May own 100, may even own 1,000. And they all have different maturity dates or varying maturity rates. And the two risks that you have are term risk and credit risk. Term risk is the risk that's associated with interest rate risk. And if you think of a seesaw, this is the best way to to think of this. If you think of a seesaw, and on one end is interest rates, on the other end is the price of the bond or bond fund, as interest rate, as the the side of the seesaw that is interest rates, as that goes down, the price of the bond and the bond fund goes up. But the opposite's also true. If the yields on the bond side of the seesaw cause the bond yield to go up, if interest rates are going up in the bond area, while interest rates are going up, the price on the other end of the seesaw of the bond fund itself is going down. So you have price on one end and you have yield on the other. So when yields go up, prices go down. When yields go down, prices go up. However, when that's taking place, the yields are changing. So when you own a bond fund, when you're investing in that bond fund, as yields on new issued bonds are going up, the share price of your bond fund will temporarily drop until the bonds that you own in that fund have come due and the manager is has been reinvesting those bonds that come due in the newer bonds. So while that's happening, what's happening to the yield? Well, since you're buying new bonds with higher yields, 
the yield of your bond fund is going up while at the same time the share price is temporarily down. So that doesn't change whether it's a short-term bond fund, an intermediate-term bond fund, or a long-term bond fund. The yield on longer-term bonds, unless we have an inverted yield curve, which rarely happens, but it happens, generally speaking, the longer maturity of your bond, the higher the yield. Because if you're going to loan your money out for a longer time period, you're going to want to be compensated with a higher yield, which is exactly what you're doing when you buy a bond. It's just like putting money into a CD. You're making a loan, and at a specific date and time, you're going to receive your principal back, and along the way, you have received the yield, unless it's like a zero-coupon bond, which you don't receive any yield along the way, although you're taxed on it. You don't receive it. It's paid back when your zero-coupon bond matures, and you get it all back. So in answering what you were asking, Mike, it doesn't matter if it's a short-term bond fund, intermediate-term bond fund, or a long-term bond fund. What's going to happen is as yields and interest rates go up, the yields of your bond fund will start going up as the manager reinvests in new higher-yielding bonds. The share price of your bond fund will temporarily drop. But as those bonds mature in that bond fund and they're able to reinvest in newer, higher-yielding bonds, you'll eventually see that share price come back up and now you will also enjoy higher yields. The key is making sure that you match your objectives and your goals with the average maturity of the bond or of the bonds in the bond fund. And you can get that information from the uh, prospectus uh, of the bond funds. The other thing that is also very, very key is making sure that you Never invest in junk bonds. You want to make sure that any bond fund that you are investing in, that you don't have to subject yourself to excessive credit risk. That's why I'm a huge proponent of U.S. government bond funds and perhaps a small amount in investment-grade corporate bonds. But anything under triple B stay away from and what's nice is the higher the quality of the bond and the bond fund the better protection you're going to get when we have the next major stock market decline if you go back 2007 2008 during that time period when the S&P 500 index here in the US beginning at the end of 2007 all the way down to when it bottomed out in March of 2009, we saw a peak to trough of about a 55% decline. However, for those of us, our clients, myself, who have a portion of our investments always based upon your own personal goals, your tolerance for fluctuation, etc., Having a portion in good, old-fashioned, safe U.S. government bond funds 
some of those bond funds we saw returns as high as five to ten percent positive returns during that time when the stock market was down because see what happens is during times of panic and it surely was a time of panic for many unfortunate investors out there in 2007 2008 the world during times of panic rushes into what's considered the safest investment in the world and you know what that is U.S. Treasuries, backed by the full faith and credit of the U.S. government. So, in summary, yes, as long as you have matched up your objectives and your goals with the appropriate duration and average maturity of your bond funds, and thus you have no need to sell it, at least for a minimum of those n number of years, Ultimately, higher interest rates going up will benefit you, ultimately, because you'll receive higher dividends, higher yields as those bonds come due in the bond fund and they reinvest, and then eventually the share price of the bond fund will come back up, and you're also all along the way receiving those higher yields. So I hope that helps, Mike. Okay, we're going to take our last break. Don't go anywhere. When we come back up, we're going to pick right back up. And I mentioned at the beginning, we we're going to talk about compensated and uncompensated risk. Time permitting, we will pick that topic up right when we come back. A lot of financial advisors won't want you to hear what we say. This is the financial show that represents you, not Wall Street. This is Financial Freedom with Tim Decker on WHP 580. All right, welcome back. Final segment. Man, this hour went fast. Um, we had received a call from Jay from, uh, I think it was Jay from Harrisburg area. And uh, he had to jump off the phone. But uh, what he had asked, I believe, um, what he had asked was, what is the uh, what is the incentive for a fee-only advisor to provide you with services if a fee-only advisor receives no compensation for whatever products they sell you or recommend? Good question. The answer is very simple. Think of it this way. If you went to your medical doctor and you had an appointment and you were uh, wrapping it up and you're walking out the door and you say, all right, doc, thank you so much for your time, your advice, guidance. Um, how much do I owe you? Where do I pay? And the doctor says, ah, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. You don't have to write me a check for anything. And you say, well, you've got to get paid. I mean, you can't work for free. The doc says, hey, don't worry about it. It's okay. And you continue to push and you say, but, you know, how do you pay your staff? How do you pay your lights? How do you make a living? And finally, the doc, after pushed, says, well, fortunately, the prescription drug companies that I just wrote you those three prescriptions 
before they compensate me. How would that make you feel? Would you be as confident as you were before now knowing that those prescription drugs that you're about ready to go get filled, that the doc is going to get some nice compensation as a result of recommending those? You would never, you would never knowingly work with a doctor if you knew that. Well, it's the same way in working with financial advisors. Do you want to work with a financial advisor, a 100% fee-only financial advisor who is motivated and is compensated by you and you alone, either on an hourly arrangement, either for services provided for wealth management, or do you feel confident and do you feel good accepting the conflicts of knowing that your advisor can charge fees and can receive commissions for selling you long-term care insurance, for selling you annuities, for selling you life insurance, for selling you uh, real estate investment trusts, for selling you stocks, selling you mutual funds. So to answer what you were asking, and by the way, it wasn't Jay. Jay was uh, the caller from York. This one was Ray, so that's how I got them mixed up. So, Ray, the incentive and the motivation for a fee-only advisor is we earn a little bit as we go. We get paid for taking care of you. A fee-only advisor, unlike somebody who gets commissions where they get a big chunk, often as much as 8% in some of those high-commission, complex annuities, if you work with a fee-only advisor, and just for example here, who's managing your wealth, and say the fee is roughly 1% percent a year they we have to earn that as we go so we are incentivized because we hitch our wagon to your wagon as we help you grow your wealth our income goes up when when your accounts are down our income is down or if you're not working with a fee-only advisor for wealth management and you just want hourly consulting, then you pay them for the hour. But it's not as lucrative up front. It can take as many as six to eight to ten years to make a little bit as we go versus somebody who sells you products. And that's why this business is so ripe with people getting into it more and more and more. It can be a very lucrative business for those who sell products and receive commissions early on. If you're working with a fee-only advisor, they earn a little bit as you go, and they have a vested interest in helping you, not only initially, but knowing that their compensation is going to be solely tied to the services that they provide you, 
and the ongoing management of your assets. So that's the big difference there. So again, if you have not done so, two things that I would recommend. Again, go to our website for free. I put this on there in conjunction with the National Association of Personal Financial Advisors, the only fee-only financial advisory organization in the U.S. I put this on there for you to be able to download. You can print it out. It's a financial advisor questionnaire. It's on the bottom of our homepage. Our website is isifinancialgroup.com, isifinancialgroup.com. Take advantage of that, please. And you should not hesitate to ask your advisor to complete that. As, as I always say, would you order off a menu without, see, without seeing the prices? Send it to them with a nice note, and hopefully what you're going to get in return is an advisor that is happy to complete everything in writing, send it back. If you get any pushback at all, any pushback, trust me, it's not a good sign. Because when somebody hesitates putting something in writing, there's always a reason. And that reason usually is not a good reason because they don't want to be held accountable and they don't want to be completely transparent. That's one thing that I would recommend that you do. And I can promise you it will save you, save you and your family lots of financial heartache in the years to come. The other thing is ask for and insist upon and, uh, your advisors. It's called Form ADV. ADV is short for advisor. Form ADV. There's no downtime here in keeping you updated. News Radio WHP 580.